Second episode of the game podcast. I'm your host Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Michael Majors. Uh, last week, quick reminder: I just want to let people know that we did launch our Patreon. If you want to go check that out, Patreon.com/slash/TheGamePodcast. If you want to, you know, show us a little love and support for the work that we've done here so far and the work that we're going to do in the future, it is much appreciated. It's been interesting so far, and I've I've loved seeing like basically the outcry of support. It's been really nice. But we have some standard stuff to talk about. It came out on. Magic Online, Omicat did, and I basically spent all day yesterday battling. What about you? I, I haven't gotten into it yet. I've drafted exactly one deck and beaten up somebody with red cartouche, I guess is how you say it. I don't know. Hammerhand? Yeah, dude. Ham- Hammerhand is kind of messed up. It just like pushes like eight damage for one mana. Oh, yeah. No, th- like that one's good. The blue one's good. The green one's good. And then the other ones are okay. But yeah, red one's uh, great. Black is like minus one, minus one, and... Plus one, plus one lifelink? It's pretty good. Costs yeah. three, though. I, I'm, I'm fine playing, like, a lifelink spell in my deck. Like, whatever the, like, grotesque mutation, like, that sort of thing. It's like, that was not a trick that was really going to let you trade up a lot of the time. But just having, like, the lifelink to, like, help you win races, I like a lot, so. Same. Moment of heroism was, was definitely great. Yeah. Mighty Leap, not so much. Yeah. All right. Well, um, there you go, Andrew. There's, there's your memory living on. That's it. You, Although, uh, you yeah, you know, you know he's not listening. It's fine. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, um, I've, I've been catching up on some content stuff. I just got back into town. Basically, once I'm done here, then tomorrow and Thursday, I'll be playing lots of standard before uh, the Open in Atlanta. So looking forward to okay, it. Okay, cool. So you have to finish work so that you can do work. Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a weird life. It is, right? It is super strange. Yeah, it's it, it's tough to explain to people that me playing Magic Online all day is is part of my job. But it's true. It, it, sometimes it, it feels like work too. But you know that's a, that's another discussion, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's that's the time when we go play Hearthstone, right? So <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Martyr Vehicles. I guess we can start there. I wrote an article last week that had what I thought were the six best decks and pretty reasonable deck lists for each one if i do say so myself although i've already started making changes to some of them but you played this in a versus video i guess yeah and uh my article which hasn't come up as of this recording but should be up by the time this is out it's pretty similar to yours actually maybe a little bit too similar but i basically stack ranked i i thought what the viable decks to play in atlanta were so similar tone for sure and yeah i played the same exact 60 that you posted, uh, minus the mana base, which I changed a bit. Basically, the way that Mardu Vehicles has kind of evolved, which is something that we talked about ad nauseum, really, is that post-board, you're kind of getting less aggressive, taking out your Exemplars, your Heart of Kirins, maybe some number of Scrap Heaps Grounders. And so, like, it actually becomes pretty difficult for you to turn on your Spire of Industries, especially if you're trying to cast double red spells like Glorybringer or maybe, like, Chandra Torch of Defiance. So I had a little bit of a clunkier mana base, including more tap lands, with the intention of being able to cast my cyborg cards, and uh, the deck played out pretty well. Actually, I don't I don't know if this is really a a symptom of the way I built my deck. Changed it from yours essentially, but I lost my pre-boarded games and won my post-boarded games. I don't know. Nahiri played pretty well. Tom wasn't playing any enchantments, but he was playing Glorybringer, and Nahiri is like Nahiri and Glorybringer make like a pretty interesting dynamic, I guess. Like it's like Elspeth Stormbreath, kind of. Yeah, that's a good comparison. It's it's, it's kind of like, like whoever, you know, bites first loses. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, Elspeth was kind of vulnerable to Stormbreath Dragon, but it was also a good answer to it. So it is, like, a lot of patience involved. Yeah, so, like, our, our games were really fun. Like, every time I play Tom in that kind of, like, pseudo-aggressive mirror, we usually have a good time. Yeah, we, we basically played the games, like, very slow and probably made some mistakes on both sides, but they were definitely interesting to play, and I, I think that it's going to be pretty challenging to try to balance that dynamic. What A couple things that I want to note is that one of Mardu's strengths for sure, is its sideboard and the ability to, like, actually shift things to be in a better position in the postboard game. So, like, you winning all your sideboard games is not that surprising to me. That just seems like probably a common trend. And then Glorybringer. Like, I don't know. I feel like I've been kind of underrating this thing, and then I basically spent all day yesterday losing to it with a bunch of different decks and out of a bunch of different decks. So I just want to point out real quick that that card's the truth. Yeah, I definitely think it's very powerful. Whenever, like... I look at a card like this in context of a spoiler. I'm just like, you know, I, I think if I really wanted to, I could beat this card. So maybe I like kind of underrate it. When you're actually forced to build decks and play, it's it's very difficult to configure your deck properly to beat this card, especially like in your first drafts. Dude, you're, you're fighting for the board like the first few turns. It is so difficult to both not use your removal spell on their good three drop or whatever, but also to just like hold up mana to try and snipe this thing because... It just goes poorly so many different ways. It's like you give them an inch and then they establish a planeswalker or something and you hold open mana and they just like don't play Glorybringer. They play something else, right? If you tap out, they Glorybringer you. It's just like every which way is bad for you. Yeah, it's definitely tough to like play around worst case scenario, which has kind of been a an, an attribute of standard just the last couple of years, but this season specifically because of the Sea Hill combo, you kind of just have to, and, and this is something we talked about as well, is you kind of just have to accept that sometimes you're just going to get, you know, screwed over by the best possible card. Like, maybe you'll die to see Hilly Combo, maybe you're just going to get Glorybringer or whatever, but you do have to just build your board. Yeah, I mean, so there, there's a percentage of games you lose where they have it, and then there's a percentage of games you lose where you just don't develop as you should because you're so scared of this thing, and generally it's the plus EV move is to just develop. Obviously it changes, like, case to case and everything, and a lot of people have the mindset of, like, oh, you know, if they have it, they have it or whatever. But no, like realistically, like there, there are times when you can afford to play around it and times when you can't. Being able to figure out which situation is which is probably like the hallmark of whether or not you're going to do well in this format or not. Definitely agree with that. I think a big takeaway for me is that Thalia Heretic Athar has improved considerably. Both she is good against uh, Healer Rai combo, but she's very good against Warbringer. Oh my God, yeah. Thalia also beat the crap out of me. Those were the two cards. And it's just like, how can I not kill this thing? My deck has 10 removal spells or whatever. And it's like, well, I just have to kill other stuff, you know? Like, I'm getting killed by Exemplar, I'm getting killed by Gideon or whatever, and then it's like, oh, they play Thali on 5 or something. I'm like, yeah, I can't beat that. Yeah, even if she just stops you from developing by, you know, making your land enter the battlefield tap, that's a that's a huge blow sometimes, so. Yep, and definitely, definitely first, strike, first strike, reasonable body, like, attacks and blocks pretty well, too. Yep, really sets up your Nahiri's nicely, um, even against cards that aren't Glorybringer, so. Oh, man. Well, uh, what did you change in the sideboard, and, like, did did it matter all that much? A third Glorybringer... I mean, basically, I had more double red spells, because, again, okay. the, the way that I configured my mana base was to be able to cast those cards. Uh, so I had Glorybringer, Chandra's, an extra Nahiri over your Sorens, and then a pretty, pretty similar suite of interaction that you had. I didn't play uh, Cut Ribbons. Ooh, okay. So Spire of Industry gets way worse post-board when you're trying to cut your artifacts so that you don't get released the gremlins for a bunch so yeah casting your spells can be a lot 
a lot more awkward in the post-board games, especially when you're boarding in like Soren, Chandra, Glorybringer, or whatever. But the thing that I want to do now is actually move towards Cut Ribbons instead of the one-mana removal spell, instead of like Fatal Push. So then you have like this red removal spell, and then you can go back to like a red-white, splashing black mana base, and then you can play like Glorybringer main if you want to, and then have things like Chandra in your sideboard. Okay, I buy that. Uh, like Veteran Motorist as well, or... I don't know. Uh, I've been playing against a decent amount of Ballistas still, and I feel like if Nahiri main deck is actually the right call, then I'm not sure like how good Motorist actually is, just because I think I'd rather have the Mana Sync in Ballista if I'm going to be playing a bunch of Mana Sources. Sure. I, I could and... see the, the Motorist Cultivator's Caravan package, just because you're actually going up to 5 mana with Glorybringer. Yeah, no, I can see that a lot too. That's that's something I'm going to write down. I'm going to try that. Dope. Look at that. R- Real-time innovation. Okay, got it, got it. But yeah, nice. uh, it, it, like cut, cut ribbons versus fatal push is close, I think. Like push being one mana is certainly an upside, but a lot of the times it isn't one mana because it, it'll just like take you off curve or, you know, you can't play it on turn one anyway. So if you have to like push their snake on two, then what else are you doing? Like hopefully playing a one drop, but maybe not, you know? Cut also kills Glorybringer, which, granted, some of the damage is probably already done, but it does give you more answers to that card in general. Uh, can kill Felidar Guardian, so I don't know. I, I think Cut might be the way to go, especially since, like, the backside, assuming your mana can cast it well enough, is actually pretty good, too. Yeah, uh, this is kind of a tie-in, but w- what you were just talking about with Fatal Push kind of not actually being one mana in the context of the games, like, I think that something that I notice is... You, you have a lot more liberty to actually crack your clues when you're not playing Spire of Industry, which is really nice because it just, like, lets the games develop, you know, in a much more natural fashion. Yeah, the, especially the post-board games, like, you cannot crack that clue because you have no other artifacts, really. Like, that thing needs to sit around to fix your mana. Yep, so that, that, that's kind of another nod to Fatal Push. It's, like, oftentimes you do have to keep your clue into play just so Fatal Push can be live. Yep, that's true. Okay, so cut Spire, cut Push, and maybe the deck gets better? Or you just play, like... More Needle Spires, more uh, Canyon Slews, and maybe Foreboding Runes and stuff. Yeah, I, there is a cost, granted. Like, you do have a higher frequency than the Battlefield Tap lands, but, you know, it, it does balance out when you're actually casting your spells. Right. And it, there, it gets to be a certain point, too, where you have enough dual lands that it just means you get to run more basics, too. Yep, so that's true. It is, it's entirely possible that you could actually keep the mana relatively the same. Yeah, I played more hubs, but that was I'm definitely not arguing that that was optimal. Oh, God, I hate hub. I want to cut them all if I can. Yeah, that would be ideal. I mean, that's definitely an, an attractive aspect of uh, Cultivator's Caravan to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm down to try Caravan again. I'm not sure how that changes your sideboarding plans, especially since Motorist is probably not that good in the sideboard plans, but it might just be like you keep mostly your main deck intact, and I, I would imagine that there are less like Release the Gremlins type things. Like Maybe you get Manglehorned more often, but... It's probably going to be rare, more, more rare that you get released for a lot. Yeah, I could see that. I, I think everybody was kind of on the same page where you're shaving on Heart of Kieran and then your other stuff, obviously. And then you don't even, you're, you're not even really incentivized to bring in more than one or two release secret ones against Marty because they're just trying to beat you up with Planeswalkers and now Glorybringer. Yeah, so you, you have a couple in your deck to keep them honest, but realistically, like, people aren't going to be playing four anymore, so... It should probably be fine, actually. And then even if they release you and, you're, like, your follow-up is Glorybringer, like, you're probably just going to win anyway. Yep. Doesn't really matter if you're just legitimately overpowering them. My initial impression of Mardu was that, like, it's good, but maybe not as great as it was, and Sahili is certainly a better deck, but there's also a lot of new things that could potentially go into Mardu, 
and we haven't really experimented with all the different versions yet, so I, I would say that Mardu overall probably got a little bit worse, but the jury's still out, I guess. I, I agree with that. I, I really do view Mardu vehicles as a rock deck now, and it's just... It's, it's actually just impossible to build correctly week one because you just don't know exactly how people are going to configure their decks. So, like, maybe come PT, Mardu is super good if you can actually figure out the right configuration. Or for week one, if you just play Motorist, Glorybringer, Cut, and Caravan. Like, Caravan helps cast ribbons, too, which is pretty nice. Like, you just, you play, like, the powerful version. And it's like, okay, you know, maybe every third or fourth opponent is actually going to be ready for me or whatever. But most of the time, like... People are just kind of doing whatever they want and not really paying attention to what other people are doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely excited about trumping my opponent's turn four Gideon when turn four, you know, Glorybringer off Caravan. That's really, really powerful. Okay, so, man, I had a, I had a list of things that I wanted to try today. It's getting longer and longer. And that's usually how it works. Yep. It, it, like, it starts kind of small, and then it widens up, and then it closes, and then you relearn some stuff, and then it widens up again, and then it closes. That's basically how my process goes. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's uh, it, it's always tough to manage the results of games you had previously once you've gained new information from card evaluation. Yeah. You know, usually you just try to kind of wing it and hope that you don't have to, like, go back and check all your homework. Well, a lot of it for me is, like, I, I, I hate just putting a label on things, like, Sahili beats Mardu or whatever, because it, sure, like, the deck matchup matters to some degree, but it's mostly, like, the individual card interactions, right? So once... The cards change, like, how does that change the interactions, and, you know, can you change that favorably? So, maybe, like, one set is kind of deterministic of, like, this version of Sahili beats this version of Mardu, but that's not the big takeaway that sh- that you should have from that, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, it, it, you know, the games are just actually super, super hard to play. Like, that, that's been kind of a an undersold aspect of the narrative of standards. Like, sure, it's kind of a two-deck format, but the games are super intricate. They are intricate, but I don't know if that's a, a bug or a feature, you know? Uh, I'm not really arguing either way. It's just that, you know, when people say Mardu beats Sahili, it's, there's a million different ways you can play the games. Yeah, that, that is certainly true. Uh, hot take, I guess. Do you think that, like, the games being complicated is a pro or a con? Mixed bag. As both a player and a spectator, I appreciate it. As a content producer, I think it's a con. Ooh, do you, do you think it just, like, makes it harder to convey the things that you're saying? Uh, that's a part of it. It's, it's just, like, you know, if, if I'm actually giving my audience, you know, good factual information, then I then I do have to convey something that's pretty abstract in a, in a readable manner that they can hopefully understand, and that's difficult. Yeah, maybe it's just, like, we haven't done enough work to actually, like, teach them how to play these matchups or whatever, or, like, help teach people, you know? I mean, I certainly think that the general populace is that way. General populace of content producers. Yeah, okay. Maybe maybe that's something we need to do. I was actually thinking about, like, this week, maybe trying to do something in-depth, like, matchup-wise. Uh, yeah, I mean, how, how do you think you want to go about doing that? I don't know, just like, you know, we play, like, a couple versions. Say it's, like, me and you, right? And I play Sahili, and you play Mardu, and then, like, we'll play, like, a match or two or something, and then we'll, like, kind of alter our decks a little bit. Not just, like, trying to beat that matchup, but just, like, these are the things I learned about my deck, so I want to, like you know, change my mana base or like this sideboard plan doesn't work, you know, like that sort of stuff. And then just like get to kind of a finished product. Like it's just like we sit down for like an actual playtesting session. I mean, that sounds great. I think people would love it, especially if it were streamed. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. I kind of want to do it for my article. Obviously this translates a little worse into written form, but whatever. 
I mean, I think you could certainly take that exercise, you know, that is on the video internet and make it in a more concise form and put it in an article and it would be good. Well, maybe not this week, but maybe next week. I don't know. We'll we'll be in touch. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, this sounds fun, especially, I, I think it might even work better next week once we do have a little bit more information and we're not just like, you know, kind of firing randomly. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Okay, so moving on to just Sahili in general, four-color Sahili, I would assume. I played against Jeskai a little bit. It still did not look very good. Uh, Like control decks, you mean? Yeah, the one opponent I played against had multiple split cards, just like reduced to rubble, uh, the time ebb plus time twister commit to memory. Yep, that's it. And failure to comply, just like had them all. I mean, I like those cards in very specific contexts, but I don't think you should be playing with multiple of them in the same deck. No, I think it was like maybe one or two of each or whatever. Failure to comply actually struck me as like kind of interesting because I was playing Black Green Delirium and it was like kind of scary. I guess they're just like, all right, Grasp of Darkness combo you. Yeah, basically. I mean, that is cool. That, that is something I, I hadn't considered as an application for the card. I was yeah, kind, me kind of thinking about more of as like a tempo tool. Yeah, and he's just like Nahirying all this stuff away and... Uh, it was it was kind of wild. I, I did end up winning, but I don't think I should have. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because it actually sounds like something I want to kind of take a look at. Okay, so Jeskai, not great. Four color, I think, is quite good. Likely the, the best deck. Uh, likely not even close. And I initially thought that this deck maybe didn't really get anything outside of Nyssa, and now I'm not really interested in Nyssa. I'm interested in Glorybringer. Yep, just, uh, <laughs> just dragging them. It's usually a decent yep. strategy. Yeah, I mean, this deck is already just fighting these mid-range fights against most of the decks, especially post-board, and Glorybringer is just this thing that kind of dominates opposing Planeswalkers, just dominates the battlefield in general, and it's in basically one of your main colors, you know? Like, you're definitely mono-green with three splashes, but you can make the red a little bit closer to a main thing with game trail and sheltered thickets and stuff. Uh, so I don't think it's difficult to cast or anything, and you already have things like Chandra, so that helps too. It just kind of feels like the the cement for the mid-range package. Like, sometimes you would have these Planeswalkers, but they're a little too small ball, and Glorybringer is just, like, the thing that allows you to, like, keep going and keep doing powerful things. Yeah, and it, it doesn't surprise me. I, I haven't played Four Color with Glorybringer yet, but, you know, just hearing you talk about it, it goes right back to our discussion we just had about Marty Vehicles. It's like, if you're in the mirror match and your opponent tries to develop with, like, Felidar Guardian, blink their Oath of Nyssa just to try to accrue some advantage and get on the battlefield, and you just Glorybringer on them, then they're in huge trouble. Yeah, you just immediately punish them, which I think is so sick. Then you can untap and, like, Sahili your Glorybringer or Felidar Guardian your Glorybringer, and it's like, the exert does not really feel like a huge downside to me. Yeah, there's definitely lots of built-in tricks with Sahelian Felidar Guardian. You can, you know, exert the tokens. That obviously doesn't matter. You can just blink it and go again. It has felt pretty strong. It feels like a much, much better Sky Sovereign. And it's a Sky Sovereign that is main deck playable. And it just, just helps you in general, you know? I just think it's like a very, very good, very powerful card. And it happens to fit the strategy. And it makes the deck a lot scarier than it used to be, which is kind of silly, you know? I don't really want to live in that world, but... Yeah, it also just supports, like, the plan C of just, like, choke them out with chip shots. You know, Chandra, Sahili Rai, Oath of Chandra, they all kind of deal incremental damage, maybe get some points in with Thopter tokens, and then you just, you know, deal them eight with this dragon over two turns. Yeah. Uh, basically, every four-color opponent I played against had Glorybringer somewhere in their deck, and it just looked great every time. 
not even a lot of good answers to it. Like, you know, you can re-trumpet with Chandra or Nahiri. It is semi-vulnerable to Harness Lightning, but that's about it. And other than that, it's like, man, Whirler Virtuoso has never looked so bad. You know, like, <laughs> they can only buy enough time against that thing. What do you think? This is kind of an aside. What do you think about the fact that Glorybringer cannot trump itself? In, in other words, it has a non-Dragon Clause on it. You cannot win the fight by being the second person to Glorybringer. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's kind of good. It, so it's sort of what we're talking about with the games being intricate and complex, right? Where you have this card that's just like, no, play me, smash your opponent, like exert it, kill her thing, right? If it didn't say non-Dragon, then whoever played the second one would almost always win, right? So instead of teaching patience, they kind of just like put on this clause on the card to kind of like save people from themselves. Like now it is still the best one to do what this card tells you and like play it on turn four and attack them and kill their thing. And you just won't get punished for it. So you think it's a, it's generally good for Magic the Gathering gameplay. I I think it would be like pretty bad the other way. Where like if every time you played with Glorybringer, you lost to the mirror, that would not be very satisfying. Yeah, I buy that. It, It probably would. Reward the player who, you know, planned the game out three turns in advance a little too much. It might be seen as, like, dumbing it down or whatever, but I don't think so. I think it's, it is, it is like, adding a feature to the game where it's a little more user-friendly, you know? I mean, I, I definitely don't even think that, you know, there is always a negative connotation to the term dumbing it down. Like, sometimes it's just correct for fun gameplay. Yeah, I mean, that might be a better way of putting it. Yeah, that's just something I was, I was interested in your thoughts on, because... Obviously, that was a very... Like, if that choice wasn't made, then maybe they would have considered making Glorybringer a 4-5 or, or something. But instead, they they made the card a little bit worse and made it so it didn't prey upon itself. Right, and and if you wanted to solve that issue by making it a 4-5, then it's no longer vulnerable to things like Cut or Avacyn or whatever. So it's like, the card is, is weaker, but it's probably more in line with the power level that they wanted it to be in. So I think that that's just, like, a reasonable way to solve it, too. It's not even that awkward. It's just, like, a couple words on the card. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of weird where, you know, like, why would you have a non-dragon card? Like, what is the flavor on this or whatever? It is clearly, like, an overdeveloped kind of thing. But I am more than okay with that. Yep, that's legit. Uh, one other deck that I played against a reasonable amount is Green Red Monsters. Which is kind of surprising, I guess, because I haven't really seen anyone talk about this. Like, it's always weird, right? Where it's like, I didn't see a lot of people talk about Glorybringer and Saheeli, but everyone had it. And then I didn't see a lot of people talking about this this green-red deck, but it's just like, it seems like it exists and is pretty popular. But it's basically what you would expect, like some Servant of the Conduits, uh, Channeler Initiates, Ronus, maybe Manglehorn, Tireless Tracker... I've seen Lathnu Hellion alongside like a tune with Aether and Aether Hub and Harness Lightning and stuff. And Crocodile of the Crossing, which I like a lot, but might not be great. And then, yeah, it's like some Glory Bringers, maybe Green Gear Hulk, Shock, stuff like that. So pretty straightforward stuff, but I, I don't think it's going to be like a dominant deck or anything, but I do think it's a good litmus test where it's like you need to be able to deal with these sorts of things. Otherwise, you could just get run over. Yeah, I kind of dig it. It, it. it makes sense. It's like a pretty easy deck to put together that show, showcases some new cards. Glorybringer, Channeler Initiate, like you said. Ronis. Like, people want to play with those cards, and they generally like these kind of mid-range slanted aggressive decks. So, yeah, doesn't surprise me. I, I agree that it's probably not going to be a player long-term, but I don't think the deck sounds bad. So my initial reaction to Glorybringer was like, can you play a five-mana sorcery speed thing in a world with Saheeli, right? Like, aren't you just going to get comboed? Because, like... You go from 5 mana, they go into 6 mana, and they can just play both combo pieces. 
But I think we actually live in a world where if they play Sahili or they play Felidar Guardian, Man Accelerator plus Glorybringer is just going to punish them. Yeah, I mean, it also can't be understated that most of the time the games don't play out that way. Like, they do develop with Sahili or Felidar Guardian on curve. It's very rare that, like, they actually just either, you know, can't do anything on the battlefield the first couple turns or that they actually have just, like, backup copies of the, the combo piece by turn six. So, like, yeah. generally speaking, like, Glorybringer on curve is going to actively disrupt them. And, you know, presumably you're you're still interested in playing some Walking Ballistas or Mangle Horns or just generic removal spells in your decks anyways. Yep. No, I definitely agree with that. So the deck might seem, like, kind of helpless to the four-color Sahili deck, but I don't think that that's the case. That said, wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. But... Yeah, it doesn't appeal I, to me, but, you know, I, I like that that kind of deck can exist. Or, you know, at least be semi-viable. I like a lot of the stuff that's going on, you know? Like, I've put a lot of those cards in different decks, but just not in, in that sort of deck. Like, I, I want... For whatever reason, my glory bringers to be a little bit fancier. Yeah, it's that's reasonable. You just want to, you know, pair them with cat beasts and three mana planeswalkers. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You live your life. D- that's the plan. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Turbo Fog, which is another deck where I'm just like, how is this a deck? Uh, well, I mean, uh, I I don't think the community at large believes it is a deck. It's it's just kind of my baby. That's because you've been hiding information from everyone, majors. That, that's not true at all. It's been posted in the last two articles I've written. Yeah, I don't know. This was kind of the deck that I was super excited about come Monday. Like, if Felidar Guardian had been banned, then I think a deck like this could have been legitimately very, very good at the Pro Tour. But now, you know, I'm a little bit more skeptical because the way this deck is configured, which it's basically a 27 land, 33 spell, piece of the puzzle deck built around accruing a huge mana advantage with Splendor Reclamation, is your only main defense against the Felidar Guardian combo are various fogs. A a brief aside, uh, is it Haze of Pollen? Pollen Haze? I think it's oh, Haze of Pollen. Haze of Pollen, yeah. So whenever like, I read that card, I was like, man, this card must be good. Wizards must think this card is great. And the reason is it's, it's one of two cards in the set with Cycling 3. And this, yeah. is like, this is a set where like so many cards cycle for one mana, so it's like if they think this card is good enough where they can't print with Cycling 2, then like it's something I gotta pay attention to. Yeah, it would just be horrendous, right? It's just like everyone had main deck fogs because why not? You know, like, yeah. the downside is, like, it cycles for G or whatever, and, and the format is a bunch of mid-range mirrors anyway, so it could be, like, you know, the Glorybringer mirror, right? Where it's, like, they force through lethal attack, you fog them and just, like, kill them back. It's like, no, that that shouldn't be a thing. You should not just be able to play Fog in your deck for free. Yeah, like, if it cycled for G, probably Four Color would just play it as, like, a trump in the mirror. It's like, whoever blinks first just gets fogged and then you die. Oh, hell yeah. No, it'd be great. But anyways, yeah, so, like, you know, that, that card was, like, Im- immediately attractive to me on the spoiler. Uh, I was always, like, interested in, like, these Crush of Tentacles decks and Part the Water Veil and things like that, but there just hasn't been any good acceleration recently. But between cycling dual lands and just, you know, overloading on lands and spells, I think you can actually make the deck function. And Piece of the Puzzle plays really well with the Aftermath cards, particularly Commit to Memory, which does give you another piece of interaction against the Felidar combo. It's, it's not great. It is something you can play on curve to stop Felidar Guardian for a turn or two. And then once you've just gotten a bunch of mana on the battlefield, then the, the draw seven is super powerful when you're playing fogs and time walks. So yeah, I don't know. Some something I'm gonna keep working on. I you know I'm not gonna have too optimistic views about playing it at the Pro Tour or anything, but yeah, j- just something I'm excited about. How big a portion of the Pro Tour do you think is gonna be four color Sahili? Obviously, it's early and there are gonna be opens and stuff like that, but like. So, semi-related question. How much was Bant Company at Shadows? Oh, at Shadows? It was low, right? Or was it Eldritch Moon? Wh- which one am I thinking of where we played Blue-White? We played Blue-White in Shadows. 
Yeah, yeah, Eldritch Moon was when Emrakul got printed. Yeah, so Shadows. I'm, I'm looking it up. I'm it was, looking it up. Okay. I'm, I'm guessing it was roughly like 16 to 18%. I thought one of them was like 30. One of them was also just like surprisingly low. I remember that. Day two, constructed metagame breakdown. It was 49 uh, copies in day two. They were 23% on day one and 20% of day two. So 23% total. Yeah, I would be really surprised if it was higher than that. Kind of logic being is that last PT, we kind of expected four color to be super popular and, you know, green black to some degree. And it, it seemed like every pro team kind of just showed up with Marty vehicles. And I think that, especially at the tail end of last season, we saw like the Pantheon, Paul Rietzel put up a top eight. I think that they're going to be kind of interested in tuning Marty vehicles again. Yeah, probably. There, there are some new cards. I guess like all the new cards just go into Mardu, so... Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to imply that things are going to be the same, but yeah, I, I would be really surprised if it was more than 20%. All right, let's 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 check out Eldritch Moon right quick. I, I feel like Bant Company is the best parallel I can draw to this situation. Yeah, it, like going into the tournament, it is the best deck by far. Everyone knows it. Do people play it a bunch or not very much? So this does not have percentages listed. There were 58 copies in day one. Out of 400 and some players? Yeah. Yeah, so that's low. Probably... 15 to 16 15 yeah and yeah, it was know. the most played deck so yeah so I, I would say about you know maybe the line is like 18 and a half or so okay well i mean if that's the case you could potentially play turbo fog if it beats everything else you know i mean i, I do think there's a, a really good chance that a deck like this is very powerful against marty vehicles it's like if they're just trying to beat you with generic mid-range planeswalker fights then Fog into a crew big man advantage into Crush of Tentacles into Time Walks is, is something that can go way over the top of that. Yeah, so one of the things that I'm worried about with things like Mardu is that they're getting too inbred and too worried about mid-range. And then you're, you are going to lose the stuff like Paradoxical Outcome or Aetherworks Marvel or Turbo Fog or whatever. Like, I think that Mardu actually does need some disruption in its sideboard. I'm really happy if, if that's the case. I think, actually, th this is a card that I play in Turbo Fog, but... I think might be kind of one of the unsung heroes of the format is Sensor. It's just something that these kinds of decks, combo decks or more controlling blue decks, can can put in their deck and just be able to fight other decks on curve, especially, you know, four mana planeswalkers or Sahili Rai Feldar Guardian. Yeah. Just, like, it just lets you compete. I like Sensor a lot. I was originally building decks with like a bunch of Essence Scatters and Negates to kind of do the same thing, but Sensor just like covers all your bases and then some, so... Yep, sensor. If if you just if you're on the play and you have turn two sensor, you're safe. Yep, makes me want to build my decks a little bit differently, you know, like more one drops or whatever, so I can actually just get them. But like even just getting them means that they're like, okay, whatever, I'll cycle this, and then like radiant flames you or whatever, you know, like they don't actually care. Yeah, I mean, I mean the card is just it plays so well. I mean, if, if you haven't played with sensor yet, you're definitely in for a treat if you like casting blue cards. Oh yeah. So Turbo Fog, probably no, but could be good in certain metagames. And realistically, this this deck is too much of a dog to Sahili in the vast majority of the way the games play out. Uh, big reason being because even though Fog gives you a turn reprieve from the Sahili Rai combo, once your opponent knows what's up at the end of the, the iteration, they can just reset Sahili to three, and then on the following turn they can combo you again. Yeah, and the post-board configurations just make things way more difficult, too, because they end up having things like negate, dispel, whatever. They turn into kind of a fish deck. Yep, exactly. And at any point where they're just, like, putting pressure on you plus counterspell back up, you're you know, just a huge dog. Yeah, okay. Red-Black Madness, how do you like my Red-Black Madness deck? I do like your deck. You know, it's still some cards that I want to try personally, but 
the way you built your deck is like super aggressively slanted with uh, Blood Rage Brawler. The the way you put it was you never want to hit your fourth land drop. Yeah, pretty much. I, and I didn't really realize that until I started playing games with the deck. It was like, oh, you know, should I play this for like Ribbons or Hazard or whatever? And it's like, well, I don't have it and the game's going to end in two or three turns, so whatever. You just end up like discarding a lot of stuff kind of for value. If by value you mean like board presence, I guess, like then yeah. Yeah, a lot of it is just like you have a lot of consistent discard outlets. Hopefully you draw a Haunted Dead and then you just get to... Just Discard everything every other turn and maybe bring back some prized amalgams. Uh, your things are really sticky. You have some menace threats with your one drops. You have a lot of go wide stuff that you don't really care about it dying. And then you have things like Blood Rage Brawler, which are just like kind of tough to block anyway. So it makes combat really tough for them. And you have like Lightning Axe, Fiery Temper, and Cut to Ribbons. So overall, the deck played out really well. Uh, I played in one league and went four and one pretty easily. I lost to Blue Eye Control, and I don't know. Like I guess I was thinking about why I lost because that matchup used to be like kind of the buy, and it was classic. It wasn't like Drakehaven or anything. It just like had a lot of Gearhulks and Authority the consoles both games, which just gained them a bunch of life. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> just 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 boarded in, huh? I, well, I was there, one of them was in game one, so I think it was like, oh, game one, I have this thing because I'm like weak to the combo, right? And he just ended up gaining like ten life off it or something. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, that was really good. I guess I'm just gonna keep this in and just like beat me with it twice. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this person got tricked into sideboarding correctly because they just randomly drew it in the first game. Yeah, exactly. Like if it wasn't in their main deck, maybe they went to brought it in. I don't know. Yeah, it's hilarious. I, I don't know. I, this is a deck I certainly want to play with. Um, we talked about Blue Red Emerge on the podcast, and that's something I haven't gotten to play with as much as I want to. Definitely going to take a look at that. I think that what Blood Rage Brawler does in this deck is basically what Drakehaven does in Blue Red. It kind of just like lets you play this natural, aggressive game, and then if you do ever actually have a great draw with a bunch of prized amalgams, and you kind of go off. Whereas previously, yeah. like you just didn't have enough critical mass pressure unless you drew a bunch of prized amalgams. Uh, the blue-red emerge deck that I have built uh, that I wanted to try today is just Brawler with the Drake Havens in the board. I, I can see that. So kind of doing similar things to this red-black deck, but Brawler setting up either Haunted Dead or Stitching Scab or whatever I think is really nice. Yeah, I mean, that, that thing is just so big. So that deck's been good. I've been tricked by this before, though, where I was like, oh, man, this red-black deck is like the only one that I'm winning with consistently for PT Kaladesh, right? And then... It just ended up being, like, one of the worst decks, but... The problem with that deck is exactly what I was just talking about. It's just, like, if you didn't draw Amalgams or, like, Voldaren Pariah in the appropriate matchup, like, you just didn't have enough pressure to actually disrupt your opponent or just kill them. Yeah, Crypt Breaker was not getting it done, but Brawler actually does. And Hazard helps, too. Yeah, Crypt Breaker is so bad. <laughs> it's just so awful. It would be so good in, like, 2004, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so would Relentless Dead. Oh, yeah. Yep, Absolutely. Those would be, like, extended all-stars, probably. What did I talk about last week? I think I said you just, you can't play cards that have ones printed on them anymore. Yeah, that's legit. One mana, one one doesn't cut it unless it becomes a three-two in combat. <laughs> I guess blue-red emerge is kind of the same thing as this red-black deck. Like You could build the deck to be very, very similar if you wanted. Yeah, I mean, Drakehaven, Deep Fiend, the potential to play, like, Kozilek's Return, those help you be not as all-in on just, like, this beatdown plan which I kind of like, and then you have, like, sideboard counterspells, which, you know, probably would have allowed me to beat the blue-white control deck. So maybe blue-red emerge is just a better red-black deck, I don't know. 
Uh, it's definitely something I want to try, but they're both trying to do similar things, and it's cool now that Blood Rage Brawler gives the deck the consistency, you know? Well, you could, you could fun functionally port this black-red deck to be blue-red with Deep Fiend if you wanted. You're, you're right. basically just playing, like, Scrounger and Haunted Dead, where you could be playing more zombies, more of the, you know, reanimate from your graveyard zombies. Yeah, that's entirely possible, too. Uh, the mana base is worse, though. That That is actually a reasonable consideration. Yeah, Fumarole is not great. I mean, you have Spire Bluff Canal versus Foreboding Ruins. Both of those are phenomenal, and then the other stuff is just pretty bad, I think. Yeah, but Red Black has a higher density of dual lands and has cycling duels, so. Are you interested in trying the, uh, the name escapes me, but it's the Black Drake Haven, the Drain 2? Uh, I currently have a draft deck with two of them. Okay. Well, maybe if, <laughs> if it performs well enough to convince you to try it, then you might might hit gold. No, it's possible. So I think the blue-red emerge deck has the ability to kind of keep going, whereas the black-red deck, at least the one that I have built, doesn't. Like, So the Flame Blade adepts uh, we were talking about before the show, just like, how good are they? And it's like, well, it gets them for like one, and then two, and then three, and then every other turn for two after that. Like, you're not actually doing a lot of discarding past your initial discard. And I think that's more of what I want to be doing rather than trying to drain them out. But it's possible that you could just slow down against a control deck. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you're actually presenting like Adept into Brawler, like how much damage do you actually need to get in with your creatures before this thing just like kills them from 10? Well, the issue is that you just run out of discard outlets at some point. Sure. Because like you, you don't have an engine. Eventually you just run out of resources. Maybe like this plus key to the city is a good sideboard plan. Yeah, that's entirely possible. That would, like, get your adepts through, pump them up, and then maybe you just, like, aim to deal about six damage with the enchantment. Yeah, I could see that. But then again, it's like, Hazaret is kind of the same thing. Like, I'm just trying to get them for five with it. And if you untap, it's just gravy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. One other thing to note is that I was playing Trespasser's Curse in my sideboard, and I have played with and against that card, and... It is very good against four-color Sahili, not only just because of the combo, but especially if they're playing, like, the energy version where they have Whirler Virtuoso and stuff. Like, I think it actually is just, like, a reasonable card against them. It just so happens to also insulate you against the combo, which is nice. And I would not recommend boarding that card in, like, every deck, like Black Green Delirium or some sort of, like, Red-Black Control deck or whatever. But when the hate card is also doing the thing that your deck is trying to do, which is like, you know, get them to zero in this case, I think it is actually pretty nice. So it's like this card that might actually get them for five over the course of a game while also stopping their combo. It's funny you mentioned that. I actually have two copies in the sideboard of my Black Green Delirium deck right now. So Yeah, I just, I just don't think it helps that much, you know? Eventually they're going to Nahiri it or whatever, but like the, the red-black deck is not trying to give them all that time to set up. Yeah, that's reasonable. I, I just think it's still like a... A, a better functional hate card against the deck than, like, Manglehorn in Delirium, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Manglehorn is more of the same thing where it just, like, doesn't really contribute and it's very easy to remove. I guess, like, the inverse is true, right? Where it's like, if you are playing a curse, eventually they're going to have time to set up and deal with it and kill you. But, like, for, from the Delirium side, I always felt like half a turn behind, basically just, like, against every deck. Maybe curse is the thing that allows you to have that window like, two-turn window where you get to just, like, tap out and do stuff, and then, like, Curse buys you enough time to let you set up? Yeah, like, I, I think that that's exactly, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. Like, you just need the two-turn reprieve to, like, actually be able to cast your Ishkanaz and things along those lines. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was finding that pretty difficult, so maybe it's actually good. I don't know. I was just trying to do it with, like, Transgress or Labor of the Heart or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's also some, like, an hate, a hate card that you can vessel into, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, that's true, too. Okay, well, maybe I'll try those, because I didn't have them. Okay, Blue-White Cycling, you played some with this. Go ahead. 
I did. Basically, takeaway, which again is is something that we've kind of alluded to previously. It's like, yeah, it's cool. Like, if you can cast Drake Haven turn three on the play, get your engine online, and like actually just accrue a bunch of advantage over the course of you know cantripping a bunch. But realistically, the strength of these blue decks is like cementing an early advantage, maybe with a curator or a gear hulk, and then just counterspelling all your opponent's relevant spells by clocking them. I played against Todd playing uh, Marty Vehicles and <laughs> lost the two pre-board games. Post-board, I kind of turned into more of a fish deck with Spellqueller, executed that game plan where I was less reliant on Drake Haven. Just being able to have these functional split cards in your deck, like Sensor or Cast Out, that play well normally while also just like digging you into land drops or maybe your threats in the end game are really great. I didn't like feeling compelled to play cards like Renewed Faith in my deck. Okay. Yeah, Re- Renewed Faith has looked kind of mopey to me. Like, there's not, like, a burn deck, right? Where, like, the gain two is actually super relevant. Having to play a two-mana cycler is actually a pretty big cost. But, like, Sensor, Cast Out, Curator, and uh, Hieroglyphic Illumination have all looked really good. After playing a little bit with Hieroglyphic Illumination, that's a tongue twister. Inspiration. It, <laughs> inspiration, yes. I, I do think the the closer to the correct reality is somewhere along the, like, to Illumination to Glimmer, which is something I kind of suspected previously. It's like, you still do really want to cast Glimmer of Genius on turn four if you can, but having the option to cycle Illumination is pretty great. Yeah, I mean, if you're not playing Drakehaven, if you have, like, nothing to actually take advantage of the cycling, then I think that's pretty reasonable. But most of the times I've I've seen Glimmer, like, in addition to, like, playing with and against these decks, I was also, like, watching streams while I was playing, and just, like, like Glimmer was way too slow. I think if I wanted to build my blue control deck moving forward, I would look into playing either Jeskai or Esper, probably Jeskai. And a big reason for that is just not being able to have a one-mana removal spell against things like Toolcraft Exemplar and Scrapheap Scrounger is really, really punishing. Like, if you're leaving up Immolating Glare, I just can't talk today. You know, if you're ever behind the eight ball, like, you're trying to, like, glare their thing, take three on the head, and then they get to develop their board more, it's just hugely problematic. And then I would also look into, in addition to going lower on the Drake Haven package and maybe just incorporating in my sideboard, is playing Corrupted Craftstone. I do like that idea. Although I, I would be kind of wary of doing that in a Manglehorn format. Like, it's unclear how many people are going to be main decking that card. Definitely true. If, if people are preparing like for Heart of Kieran specifically and they just want to Manglehorn on curve, then Grafstone is obviously very weak. If the format shapes up in the way that I think it will, which is like, Manglehorn is a role player in aggressive decks specifically, but is more of like a cyborg card in other decks, then I think Grafstone is great. Yeah, I mean, these these Gearhulk decks are winning by brute force most of the time, and they would love a mana rock. Grafstone having all these cyclers makes it just super easy to actually turn on and be exactly what you want it to be. So that that idea sounds pretty good to me, as long as the Manglehorn thing is not an actual issue. I've played against Drakehaven, have not played with it yet, and it looked pretty good to me, but I could totally see how it could warp your deck in the wrong direction. One of the things that I did not have in my deck, but the people I had in their decks, was Pull From Tomorrow, which was like a pseudo Drakehaven enabler, because they could just like fire it off for three or four or whatever, and then still trigger Drakehaven. Um, if you go the Jeskai route, you can also like have this pseudo engine of Nahiri plus Drakehaven if you want, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mindbendered my opponent, and got they got to trigger their Drakehaven. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. I hadn't thought about and that. It's like, okay, next time we're doing that post-combat. All right. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not intuitive that it works that way if you uh, haven't played with the card yet. 
Yeah. So thank you, Magic Online, for teaching me all this stuff. It's good things to get out of the way and hopefully, you know, not make those mistakes again. In addition to Sensor and Cast Out, I think the, the big winner of these blue decks is Curator. Especially after playing some games, I think you should just be hard casting it a large portion of the time. It's it's just good. I mean, if, if you spend your turn four doing that and they have to remove it, cool. You're, you're probably trading turns because... The, I guess, like, Cut to Ribbons is the one removal spell that allows them to trade up a, by, by a decent amount. But if they're, like, disintegrating it, then it's, like, one less thing for your Gear Hulk a couple turns later. So, probably not a big deal. And I, if you're playing Graphstone and you get to, like, turn three that thing, that's it's way bigger than anything else that they have going on. And, and again, it's just, like, Sensor being this universal answer that allows you to, you know, leverage these powerful early plays like Curator or, you know, just stalling until you hit Torrential Gear Hulk is, 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 I, is I think, the way you want to build your blue decks, not just go super long. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. So, yeah, it's it's possible that Drakehaven is good, but it's it's kind of a trap. Whereas, like the curator might just be the better one. Something that I that I have written about a little bit, and something that I'm interested about as far as these blue decks configurations in the cyborg games is, I think you just want to because you know usually and typically in control mirrors you just want to hit all your land drops. Is I think you can just like board in a couple Drake Havens and a couple more cycling lands, even if they're like off color or whatever, you know, just one one color. Yeah. That way you kind of have a natural mana advantage and this like powerful threat that's hard for them to deal with. Yeah, I'm I'm down with that. I mean, I do think that you are going to play enough cycling cards to make it a reasonable threat in the post board games, but you don't have to go all in on it. Yeah. Also, against like you know other mid range or control slanted decks, you actually want Drake Haven because the games are going to go long you're not under any pressure to actually cycle your cards to find answers because, like, the games are just going to go longer. Yeah, a lot of tuning to do on these decks. It seems like we have pretty reasonable shells, but whatever ends up being correct as far as, like, the details are concerned is going to change a lot of things. I mean, it's tough. I mean, there, there's so much incentive to play these, like, random one or two ofs even. Like, Dissenter's Deliverance is the one that stands out to me, the best example. It's it's free to play one or two of these, but, like, it's so hard to configure a 60 where you find the right number of this kind of card to play. Yep, absolutely. One of the things that I ran into playing Delirium was that I had Dissenter's Deliverance and Manglehorn and had no way to really kill an enchantment. There were a lot of spots where if I had a way to blow up, like, a cast out or blow up a Drake Haven, I would have been in a fine spot, but instead, like, the games were way more difficult, and I would draw Dissenter's Deliverance and just, like, sheepishly cycle it, you know? So now my decks have Appetite for the Unnatural to some degree, because I do think that enchantments are reasonably popular, and I think that's probably the best disenchant, but I gotta do some more looking. Yeah, that's just something to expect from this format. There's gonna be a lot of cast outs. So, uh, played a little bit with your Delirium deck, didn't really change much, had some Gnarlwood Dryads to try those as, like, a pseudo-removal spell that you could vessel into. I also had a couple Grapples instead of your Channel or Initiates. My big takeaway was that, like I said earlier, it felt like it was kind of like a half-turn short. I always felt like I was under the gun, and obviously that's just going to be the case, you know? Like, you're you're mostly a reactive deck that is, like, building up to play these big things, these haymakers that kind of take control of the game for you, so you're going to be behind until you're winning. Another issue was that it was really tough for me to get, like, the time off to play a threat, have them kill it, and then still have time off to, like, play Liliana and get the threat to try and start accruing advantage, but the few games where, like, my Noxious Gearhulk just ended up in my graveyard naturally were just, like, so good. Because, like, my Lilianas were so much more powerful. So I want to kind of take the deck in, I, I don't know, just, like, down that road where maybe you're doing more self-mill stuff and then the updated list you sent me had Grimflare, and it's like, ooh, maybe that's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like a, it's not even new innovation or whatever. Like, Grimflare has been a part of these decks for forever. But 
Uh, basically, my initial sketch, just, you know, I wanted to try Channeler Initiate. I don't think it, you know, really fits well in the deck, and it's kind of just, like, randomly this card that's vulnerable to, like, Walking Ballista, which isn't a great place to be. Kind of kind of what you are just talking about. Grimflayer can, you know, hit your opponent hard, can pressure their Sahilis while you're able to build your position, and if you ever just, like you said, mill something powerful and then curve into Liliana, like, that's a great place to be. And my, my Narrowwood Dryads were doing kind of the same thing, where it was like, just, you know, go, go little guy, pressure their planeswalkers, you know, distract them for a little bit. They're actually pretty good. I can see Grimflare being very nice. I, I, I do think Narwhal Dryad is, is criminally underrated. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate your effort, you know, combining it with Nyssa. It's pretty sweet. I, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, I hope we, we get to the point where that is a viable strategy. I really do. But I don't see it anytime soon. I think, I think the Nyssa one wants the Narnum Renegade, though. Okay. Maybe a little bit easier to support Revolt than a bunch of card types. Yeah but not really a big deal. So also from playing the Delirium deck, I wanted to try the old Saltai ones because it felt like Liliana into Torrential Gearhulk would actually just be game over a lot of the time. You get to do some interesting stuff with the Saltai one. This deck was popular for like two weeks, three months ago or something. It had it was basically just like Black Green Splashing Gearhulk and Disallow and Glimmer of Genius. Now you can play things like Sensor, which I think could be cool, and uh, Inspiration and stuff like that. And I do think the Torrential Gearhulk is kind of the top end that I'm looking for because Ishkana definitely did not beat everyone. So I'm going to be looking to play something like that pretty soon too. Yeah, it sounds sweet. It's a um, challenge, of course, with decks like that is just actually having a functional mana base. Like, especially if you're trying to play a bunch of Traverse Sylvan Walls, it's like... You know, the, the deck you're describing could be a blue-black deck splashing green, but if you actually want to be traversing to fix your mana base, then suddenly you have, like, challenges of, like, can I play, you know, BB for Grasp of Darkness to actually have that as my interaction? Do I just have to play Fatal Push? I also have, like, Double Blue in my deck randomly. It's just tough. Well, the Double Blue stuff, I want to just be Gear Hulk and nothing else. Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you definitely don't have to play Disallow anymore, but but still, you end up with, like, Double Blue, Double Black, and some green requirements. Yeah, you know, we we called this the triple double back in the day, <laughs> where you have like U U B B G G in your deck, and it's like, yeah, this is fine. It's like the mana's not that great, but it's fine. It'll all work out. Well, but back in the I've, day, Savannah Lions was the premier aggressive one drop. So, right, and it was still really bad to just have like these awkward mana requirements, even though Savannah Lions, you know, did not kill you very quickly. But yeah, I, I think it's doable. I certainly looked at the mana base and was like, yeah, I don't know, and. I was already thinking about playing some of the Cycling Lands in Delirium anyway, instead of, like, Evolving Wilds. So getting to play the Blue-Black Cycle Land is probably pretty sweet, and you get eight Fast Lands, and I don't know. I'll try and make it work. Yeah, sounds good. I don't know. Is there a good way to just, like, deposit Gearhulk into your graveyard? Because, I mean, obviously playing that on turn five off of Liliana, maybe, like, to the Slaughtering them, that sounds sick. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking into it. I, I don't know if I want to, like traverse for a noose constrictor or whatever but maybe that's what we have to do <laughs> uh i don't know maybe there's just like some grixis deck with like lightning axe and stuff okay no that could be good actually yeah I'm write that down disintegration lightning axe that way you don't need delirium for to the slaughter you just you know kill it with disintegration i guess graph stone is your artifact right yep sounds perfect got a deck <laughs> oh we're really doing it now majors we're, we're doing it see this is the best part for me about deck building and like during these two weeks leading up to pro tours it's like okay i try a shell and then i'll see something that someone else is doing and then i'll take a part of like what they're doing and then you just kind of like splice together these new things yeah it's it's all about you know trying to ask the appropriate questions and then answer them the best you can 
And sometimes you just end up doing a bunch of nonsense, but... Oh, the majority of the time you end up doing a bunch of nonsense, but, you know, for the 12 times that you do nonsense, you just need that one. So we're going to try 50 things and then still not have the one and then play something bad. Well, probably just four colors to Healy, but, you know, whatever. I said last time, man, I want to be on the right side of history. I think I was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you were. Yeah, your deck was actually good last PT. Mine was not. Yeah, imagine that. Man. I can I can count on one hand the amount of times my deck has been good at a pro tour. <laughs> no, no, I I, I got a, a good feeling about this PT. Well, if if you break it, please let me know. Dude, always. I mean, you know, nobody of any consequence listens to this to rat me out, so it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be it'll be okay. Yeah, we just we came to the exact same conclusion independently. <laughs> I mean, nobody ever you know knows that I just freely give out everything. And why would they? They would have to consume my content to do so. Yeah, and they're never doing that. So. <laughs> you know, I didn't know Blood Rage Brawler was an uncommon, but I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I paid like a ticket and a half each for them, happily. Yeah, no problem. Well, uh, the other deck I played with a little bit was green-black aggro, and it mostly sucked. So uh, you can certainly change some stuff in the main deck and sideboard or whatever, but I feel like I'm just going to give up on that one mostly. I'm so interested in trying, like, Ben Stark Jund. I, I do think that deck has potential, but... Yeah, that that was recommended to me, and I do want to try that too. But for the most part, just like Snake and Gearhulk and Ballista and stuff, it was just like, oh man, this is atrocious. Also just a deck that's really hard to build. You have so many choices on each slot of the curve of you know what cards to play with. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that you know maybe you ran into some issues initially, and it's something people got to work out. Yeah, I was I was playing the beatdown one. I had like Advocates and Scroungers. I could certainly play like Grim Flayer and, and Traverse and stuff, and maybe that one is better. I don't know. But even just like playing like two powered things for two mana and like not playing a thing on turn one, like those were the issues that I had with the deck, not just like, you know, which creature is better here. That's true. I mean, if you compare those kind of average curves to just what Mardu Vehicles is doing, then Mardu is doing it better. Oh, yeah. Not close. And, and they have Glorybringer, which just messed me up repeatedly. Although. Blossoming Defense was very good against it. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I mean, Blossoming Defense into Green Gear Hulk is definitely a trump. Yeah, it was it was a huge tempo swing every time like that interaction happened. So something to keep in mind, perhaps. But other than that, I think that's it. Yeah, I guess I have I have a laundry list of things I need to try. I guess you're you're just getting started. We'll probably be talking the next couple days. Uh, are you going to stream at all, or what are your plans? If I do, it'll probably just be like. Chris staying at my apartment and us doing like drafts and drinking. Okay. No, that's reasonable. Yeah, I mean I, I'm certainly not opposed to streaming my constructed endeavors, but yeah, I don't know. I don't have a fully stocked moto account right now, and I'm probably just gonna try to buy like one or two decks and kind of mess around, just get a feel for some stuff that I'm interested in, and then kind of just do like the hardcore, you know, Mardu and four color Sahili tuning in real life. Well, unlike last Pro Tour, I was pleasantly surprised that this one feels like you can actually innovate and have it matter. I don't know. I'm looking forward to the testing process a little bit more than last time where it was like a week before the Pro Tour we finally realized that we just couldn't do that anymore. We couldn't mess around. Uh, but now now I think we can. So Yeah, me too. I, I mean, it's, it's it's something we talked about and I, I really don't think it can be understated. It's just, yes, these, these decks do exist still. They're still very good, but there's just so many small tweaks you can make to both these archetypes and a bunch of other ones. Yeah. I, d I think the red decks are good. I think the control decks are good. Like, if anything, I feel like maybe maybe this is like a, a format where there is a tier S deck, right? And that's four color Sahili. 
but then there are a bunch of decks that like right under it that are also just very good. So if it becomes less of a two deck format and maybe more of a, like a four or five deck format, I think that's great. And I think people would welcome that with open arms. Yep. Just, I, I think it's worth noting, like kind of going back to what I was saying with Drake Haven, it's, you, you still can't do anything like, you know, super adorable. Like you will just get shit on by four colors to heal if you're doing that. But like all of these decks that we've talked about, they're, their curves just up up the curve two to five are much much better now yeah absolutely and we're still paying respect to the combo certainly you know it's like we're playing a lot more lightning axes and and things like that so yep play sensor lightning axe walking ballista still you know these cards are still good we will talk about turbo fog we'll entertain turbo fog for a slight moment but realistically if it's not gonna be four color sahili then you know yeah, we're not going to mess with it. I mean, I'm going to light my 60 to 85 tickets on fire with a smile on my face. We'll see what happens. Oh god, don't do that. Just go buy a real deck. I mean, maybe maybe it's worth it to just get it out of your system, but it, come on. This it's always worth it to get it out of my system. I, what are you going to do with those crushed identicals after the fact, man? <laughs> well, Sean still has about like 60 sitting in his townhouse. So. Okay, fair. Yeah, so you <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do some work for your homeboy. I get it. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if if I don't try that deck, then I'm really denying myself what is my favorite part about pro for testing. So I have to. Fair enough. I'm just saying you don't need to spend like a bunch of money to build it. Yeah, maybe I can do some finagling with getting an account or something. I don't know. All right. Well, uh, I think next week is going to be our last show before the pro tour, and then we take a little break. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. I don't, I don't know exactly what your travel schedule is, but uh, the Pro Tour is in Nashville, so that makes it really easy on me specifically. I'm just going to be testing in Roanoke. So I definitely have, okay. t- I have time to fit in a podcast. That's no problem. But I don't know if you'll be out of town or maybe it becomes you know more difficult for us to talk or whatever. I leave next Wednesday. So if I can find a way maybe to record from the road, we'll see. I don't know. It shouldn't be difficult just to do like a uh, SCG Atlanta recap and maybe kind of just some stuff that we've learned in the meantime. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to be playing in the tournament, so I should have some stuff that I learned from the tournament itself. Okay. No, that sounds good. Well, we'll try and make it happen. I'll do what I can. If it means I have to travel with my microphone or whatever, so be it. Okay. Yeah, so you're just traveling Wednesday for Richmond and then you're going back home for the PT? Or are you staying with you? No, no. Then I'm uh, so I'm going to shows on Wednesday, driving to Richmond Saturday mornings, back Sunday night, leaving for Nashville on Monday, and then we'll be in Nashville with uh, the rest of the former Ultra Pro teammates. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. Okay. That's game. Good luck.